The following message from our guest speaker, Pastor Roy Sutherland, is brought to you by Together in Christ. So today, I want you to take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Your pastor, over the next few weeks, I think the next four Sundays after today, is going to be preaching a series of messages out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 on the church's mission. I'm not sure exactly where he is going to be going with all of that, but I want us to launch that thought this morning out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we together celebrate what we call here World Missions Day. And by the way, I want to thank you for your prayers for us because we really feel like we're just an extension of Monroe Missionary Baptist Churches. God has called us out to encourage churches and strengthen churches, which is what we've been doing the last almost two years, trying to help pastors that are struggling and churches that are struggling and people who seem to have lost any hope when it comes to the church. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has allowed us to be sent out from you to do that kind of work. And uh, we spent over a year working with a small church. Finally, God sent them a, a good pastor and they're doing well. We've been assisting other churches. And so I'm glad that we can be a little part of that. But I I want us to think today, after we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the believer's first mission, where it all starts, our first mission, rather than thinking about overseas or another state or another church or another ministry, what is the church's first mission? What is the believer's? Because I'm afraid if I say the church's first mission, that you're going to think it's somebody else's. Now, what is the believer's first mission? I want to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 9. And before I read, let me just give a little bit of background. As the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian believers in chapter 5, he begins talking to them about death, living in this body, knowing that death will come. And for the believer, he says something that I think we've forgotten. We ought to be groaning for heaven. And not worried about everything here. But we seem to have lost scope of that. And and we dwell too much on what is here rather than groaning for that which is eternal. But he says, for the time being, we're living in this body, this tent. While we groan for heaven, we're not there yet. But then he says something that is so exciting and so remarkable. He says, but I don't worry about that because God has given us his spirit as a guarantee that heaven awaits us. So if you are here today and you're a believer, let me assure you of something. There are people who struggle with the assurance of their salvation. When God saves a person, he gives them his spirit, which is a guarantee of eternal life one day. Now, we're not there yet. Paul makes that very clear. We groan for that. We yearn for that. We're not there yet. We're in the body, absent from the Lord. But one day we're going to be absent from the body, he says, and present with the Lord. But then he says this. In verse 9, whether absent or present, look at this, verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepting of him. We aim, and I'm going to talk about this in in a moment. Our mission is, whether present with him or absent from him, we may be accepted of him. For we we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that He hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we're made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. 
For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat, somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we are beside ourselves, it is of God or to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, and that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yes, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I pray the Lord would bless the reading of his heart now to our, uh, of his word now to our hearts, and we would gain some understanding. And perhaps today, no matter where you have been in your Christian walk, perhaps today, you and I would make a fresh commitment to what I want to call our first mission. So let's look at this text, and I will try to be brief as I share this. There's a lot in this text, but again, I know Pastor Tim will unfold all of that over the next few weeks, so I'm just going to hit some surface things with us this morning. As we think about doing missions and, and involving ourselves in missions, whether it's through the cooperative program or the national, uh, the North American Mission Board, International Mission Board, or our missionaries that we support, my goal again today, as I said, is to bring us back to what Roy's first mission is. And I have to start here. You know, it's easy for me to say this is your first mission. No, what I'm saying today is this is my first mission. And then I hope that you will put yourself in that sentence and say this is my first mission. Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth in verse 9, and even again later he says to them, and yeah, I believe it's in verse 21. We can read so much about these verses. Paul says, our first mission is this, that we are pleasing to God, whether absent or present. He says that we may be accepted of him. That phrase accepting of him simply means pleasing to him. The way that we live, the way that we act here at home. And by the way, I can make this very personal today because we could stop with this one verse and preach for hours and point out that the, many of the problems that we're facing as a nation that we're facing as churches, Pastor Tim, that we're facing as families is because we have forgotten that our first mission is to be pleasing to the Lord. And because we've forgotten that, we're not pleasing to those around us either. But our goal is, he says, whether absent or present with the Lord, that we are pleasing to him. Our aim, our mission is that in our daily lives, we are seeking to please the Lord. Now, there are many things that please God. Would you agree? There are many things that please the Lord. We could go through the Word of God, and there are many things that please the Lord. But Paul is going to bring us to a specific thing that is most pleasing to God. 
he goes on as he talks about this and he says the mission to be pleasing the Lord wraps itself around and into this one ministry. And that is, he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. He says, God has called us to involve ourselves. If we're going to please him, the way to please him first and foremost is that we are involved in what we, he says has been given to us. And by the way, isn't it something when God gives us something? We just came out of Christmas and God gave us the gift of his son and the gift of his son is so that he could give to us, he says here, what is called the ministry of reconciliation, that men and women can be reconciled to God. It is very important today that we realize that if we're going to please the Lord, we may please him in a lot of other things, but if we're not consciously, and Scott, I don't know where you went, but the verses that you read and the prayer that you prayed spoke volumes to me. So that I never forget that the main mission of the church and the ministry of the church. And if I don't forget it, I'm, I'm going to think that I'm supposed to be doing it by sending money overseas, Tim. I think I'm going to be doing it by starting a new church over there. And those may be elements that God will use. But first and foremost, God wants you and I right here in Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and in our families and in our community involving ourselves in the ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, Pastor Roy, what is the ministry of reconciliation? The word reconcile simply means to bring two parties together, parties that have been separated. There's enmity, there's, there's division, there's, there's no peace. And by the way, this may be some old fashioned preaching. I know it's not from this pulpit, but it is from a lot of pulpits today. We need the world to know that sinners are separated from a holy God. Do you agree? God has made it very clear when Adam sinned, sin separated man from a holy God. And the only way that we can be reconciled to that God is through what Christ has done. That's why he says Christ died. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And the world needs that message desperately today that yes, they are sinners. They're separated from God and we're to be sharing that and showing that. That ought to be our ministry. The mission is to be pleasing to God. And if I want to please God, it's that I live my life and share my life in such a way that the people around me know that God loves them. Now, I'm not going to get into this because, again, I want to so bad, Tim. It's so hard to be the first to preach, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess things up for Tim over the next five weeks or four weeks. What I mean by that is I'm going to get on some areas that he wants to deal heavily with. But this is this, this ministry of reconciliation. What the world doesn't know is this, and they need to know this. God does not wink at their sin. He does not overlook their sin. He cannot overlook their sin. My brother called me the day before yesterday. He did not. He texted me. He happened to have a funeral director, uh, which is his brother-in-law, Ricky, and his brother-in-law is a funeral director. And he called, he said, how many funerals do you do a year? And I told him typically a hundred or more. This year, it was 70 something I did. And he said, he couldn't believe that you do that many funerals. And here's one of the observations I take from people when I do funerals. Nobody believes God judges sinners. Nobody believes that. No, nobody really believes that sin has separated man from God. Nobody believes that there's a hell for those who have not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They all want to believe there's a heaven for everybody. If that were the case, there would be no need for reconciliation. Man has been separated from God. 
Sin has separated us from a holy God. And before you say their sin, no, your sin separated you. My sin separated me from a holy God. But God in love. Because you see, man could not initiate reconciliation. As a matter of fact, man can't even complete reconciliation. God initiated a reconciliatory act when he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And there are those who want to say that Christ became a sinner on the cross. No, Christ never became a sinner. He is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. But because of your sins and my sins, the Bible says God looked at Christ as a sinner and laid all of your sins and all of my sins upon a sinless Savior and judged our sins, condemned his son to death on a cross because of our sins. And if, if we think that we can do something to correct that, we're so wrong. But God, a God who loves, a God who cares about us, has initiated through his son, Jesus Christ, that act of reconciliation saying that no man or woman now has to be separated any longer. God waits for you. Not only does God wait, according to the scripture, God by his Holy Spirit calls you to come to himself. He draws you to himself. And today our mission as a church starts with us. It starts so that we might be able to help the world to see that just like we've been reconciled to God, they can be reconciled to God. You know, it's a shame that in our churches today, and I see this, I'm, I'm all over. I've been everywhere and still get calls to go to churches. And when I look at our churches and we see what's happening in people coming to know Christ, I'm talking about evangelistic discipleship. It seems as though nothing's happened. I don't understand that. I really don't because God sent his son to die so that people could be reconciled himself. And I know that God's not failing in that, but we have forgot that our first mission is to be able to take this ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because when we take the ministry of reconciliation to a world that's lost, starting at home, in our homes, we're going to talk about that in a moment, it can change the world. The gospel can affect the whole world. That's why in verse 17, he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If I gave you a handout this morning, it would be saying our first mission, the ministry, and then it would say the manifestation of that. How can the world really know that God loves them? How does the world really see the church becoming the church? How do those who are outside of Christ know that God is real? There needs to be evidence of that. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 5.17 says we become new creatures. If we're new creatures, that means the way we live our lives changes, does it not? The way that we act, the way that we, all things about us begins to change and people see evidence of that and we become more Christ-like. That's why he says that it was Christ who did this and we as believers today, my challenge for me this year is that I would become more Christ-like as a husband, as a dad. Even as a father-in-law, you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> that I'd be more Christ-like to my neighbor because I just read that I'm now a, a new creation and that creation is constantly becoming more and more or the goal is, the purpose is, 
according to the scriptures, is God didn't finish his work at salvation. Oh, yes, he sealed my eternal, that eternal lack of salvation in my heart. But this Roy, this, this outer man, this flesh is constantly being changed. Should be to be more and more and more like Christ. Why is that important? Why is that mission of being more Christ-like so that the world can see that they can be reconciled to Christ so important? Let me briefly give you three reasons why I believe that's important. And then I'm going to pray and turn it over to your staff. First of all, the reason we need to live Christ-like lives is Christ-like lives produce more Christ-like families. Have you ever heard this lately? From anybody you work with or around you? My family's falling apart. You heard that? They don't always say it just with those words. I don't know what's going on in my family. I don't know why there's so much chaos. I, I don't know why people can't get along. I don't know why there's so much confusion. Well, according to the scriptures, it may be because those who are in that family who are supposed to be living Christ-like lives may not be living the lives that they ought to be. Because Christ-like lives produce Christ-like families. Now, before some of you say, Pastor, are you saying everybody in the family will be saved if there's a person in that family? I'm not saying that at all. But I can say this. I believe there's a greater probability. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I would raise that. And I don't want to get to, to talking about things and preaching about things this morning that's going to take us off topic. But studies show that if godly dads lived godly lives in their families, their families would be different. Isn't that amazing? Why is that true? Because Christ-like lives produce Christ-like families. I don't know where your family is. I don't know what your upbringing was. I was not raised in a Christian home. Thank God my mom had become a Christian when she was a young lady. And I can testify to one thing. Christ-like lives can produce Christ-like families. One woman... And I'm not here to talk about my mom, although I could, because she was a godly woman. One woman living a Christ-like life in an ungodly family, a large ungodly family. One woman living a Christ-like life has led to a more Christ-like family. Living, modeling, showing, and sharing Christ. One by one, lost sons and lost daughters has led to Christ-like families. Is all of our family saved? No. Is everyone living for Jesus? No. But a whole lot of them are, and it started with one person who decided, I want to be serious about my first mission, and that is pleasing God by living a Christ-like life. Christ-like lives produce Christ-like families. And Christ-like families, Pastor Tim, you'll appreciate this, Christ-like families can produce Christ-like churches. I wish I could live in a fairy tale world today, and I can't, and say that I know that all churches are Christ-like in what they do and how they serve and the message that you're, they're sharing. If I believed that, I'd be living in a fairy tale world. There are a lot of churches in America, many who are not Christ like at all. And if we're not careful, we can lose focus as well. 
But Christ-like families can produce Christ-like churches. The church ought to look and live like Christ, loving and forgiving and receptive and growing and serving and giving and ministering. Pastor Tim mentioned the way the church is trying to minister during this time of pandemic. It's made it difficult, very difficult for the church to be Christ-like. And yet, if we turn and look at the way that we ought to, maybe it's opened more doors than ever before for us to be Christ-like. Because Christ-like families produce more Christ-like churches. As pastors, all of our pastors, when we're at home and our families and we're talking about the families of the churches that we served, and by the way, I talk about you, we all have as pastors, but I hope in a good sense. What I mean by that is there are families in our church, and Pastor Tim knows this, Matt knows this, Scott knows this, and you know this. There are some families in a church that are so consumed about their personal mission of pleasing the Father and helping people be reconciled to Him and living those Christ-like lives that every pastor says, man, I wish I had a whole church full of those. Right, Tim? I wish I had a whole church full of those. Why? Because Christ-like families can produce Christ-like churches. I know you don't believe this, but There are people who go to church every Sunday and leave church and their lives reflect nothing Christ-like. And it hinders the ministry of the church. But when families are serving the Lord the way that they ought to be serving the Lord, not just in the church, but in their families, Christ-like churches are produced. And here's what I like about that. Christ-like churches... And before I ever say this, I know we've forgotten this, church. Listen, we have forgotten. We've lost hope. I think churches and Christians have lost hope. We are to be salt and light. So before I say what I'm about to say, remember, I didn't say this. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, look at me. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus said that. Why did he say that? Because he knew that Christ-like churches ought to produce more Christ-like communities. People are complaining about the world today. We're complaining. What's happening to our town? What's happening to our communities? What's happening to our state? Don't blame the world. Jesus didn't say they were going to be light and salt. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And we're to make a difference in our community. Listen, there was a time in America when churches made a difference in their communities. You may not believe that. There was a time in America when the church was the light of the community and the salt of the community, and they made a difference in their communities. It changed their communities. Godly churches where there were godly families living godly lives in their homes changed communities. You say, Pastor Roy, how do you know that? I know it firsthand. It happened in my family. It happened in my community. I've told you this before. I was raised as a heathen. I was good as a heathen. My family was a heathen family. They stole. They were drug addicts. They were alcoholics. You couldn't couldn't trust them. They, they, They were lost engulfed in sin, and they were a menace to our community. 
from my dad all the way through. But let me tell you what Christ-like churches can do when they're Christ-like families living for the mission of reconciling the world. I've told you the story about my dad being saved. My dad would not listen to the gospel. He did not want to hear the gospel. He was so convicted is all it was. He saw through my mom's life. He saw God changing our family. He saw some of his children getting saved and his sons being saved and their lives were being changed. And he, he didn't understand and he didn't want to hear the gospel. And when the pastor would come to try to knock and share the gospel with him, he would run. And I don't know if you've heard that story. I know I've shared it. One day the pastor and the deacon came and he sent the deacon to the back door. He was at the front door. And when dad ran to the back door, the deacon was at the back door. You say, well, that don't work. Well, it worked that day. And my dad gave his life to Christ that day. And through the ministry of a church that was Christ-like, who cared about souls, my dad, who was a gambler, every night of the week, all I can remember as a child, every night of the week, my dad gambled. We would make a lot of money through the week. Listen, the key to making a lot of money at that time was having a lot of kids. He had a bunch of us. There were 15 in my family. I remember 13, 14, it was at home. And most of us worked the fields. I didn't get paid, but he got paid. You know where it went? To the gambling house. We never had anything. Thank God the church helped us and the schools helped us. He gambled. That's all he did. That's all he knew. But dad got saved. Guess what? Our community became a little bit more Christ-like in our community. Dad quit going to the gambling house. You say, well, that's one person. No, it, it didn't stop there. Dad had two friends. You see, there weren't casino, casinos everywhere where they legalized gambling. It's been legalized today. Back then, they met in the homes, and all these old guys and young guys would meet, and they would gamble away their money and stay drunk and do all the things that you do in those places. Well, dad had two friends. One of them's name was Drake Manns. Drake had a gambling house too. Dad witnessed to Drake Manns. Guess what? There's power in the gospel. It's an amazing thing. The gospel shared with Drake Manns. Drake Manns was saved. They quit gambling at Drake's house. The community began to be a little more Christ-like. There was no place for those older men to go gamble anymore. But then they thought, well, we've got one more friend over here, and I never can remember his name. I wrote it down, Homer Gray. I texted my brother last night. I said, can you remember the second man where, my dad used to, where our dad used to play poker? He said, I can't. And I thought of it last night about 2 o'clock. God woke me up. Mr. Homer Gray. Well, Homer Gray was really resistant to the gospel. He said, you can come to my house and gamble. But they kept sharing Jesus with him, and they shared Jesus with him, and they lived. Listen, they didn't just share Jesus. These were gamblers who quit gambling, drinkers who quit drinking, people who cussed who quit cussing. You say, does that really matter? Oh, I think so. Next thing I know, Homer Gray, he came to Christ. The community got a little more Christ-like. There was no gambling houses in the community. I wonder what those wives thought. Now my husband's home, and he's treating me more like he ought to be treating me. Listen, Christ-like lives produce Christ-like families. Christ-like families help the church to be more Christ-like, and Christ-like churches, when they really minister and take the gospel, the gospel of the ministry of reconciliation to a lost world, it can change communities. When my drug addict's brothers stopped doing drugs when they got saved, they led their drug addict friends to Christ too. Our community changed. Folks, 
We must never forget there is power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see the Lord change our homes, our churches, our communities. If we will make our first mission, our first mission. Roy, doing what God's called him to do. Being the husband, the dad, grandfather, that godly person that God's called him to be. Are we perfect? No, I can do the wave on that. We're so imperfect. But even in our imperfections, desiring our aim to be pleasing to God. And one by one by one. You say, that doesn't work today. Don't tell me it doesn't. You're telling me the Bible is not true. You say, that won't work in our community. Don't say it won't work. The gospel is just as powerful today as it ever was. We have bought into the lie that the gospel doesn't have that power. That nobody does care. That nobody will trust in the, what Christ has done for them on the cross. I disagree. I think the power of Jesus Christ is still changing lives. You may be here today, and that life need to be changed being yours. God maybe has brought you here to understand that he wants you to be reconciled to himself. And he's willing to receive you as a sinner if you will confess your sin and repent of that sin. You see, God's done his part through his son Jesus. Now he waits for you as his Holy Spirit speaks to you to come to him. There may be those who will watch this online or on the TV, whatever means it is. And you today know that God loves you. If there's any one thing the world needs to know, it's, it's not that God doesn't love them. God loves the world. He loves lost people. He wants to see them saved. Yes, he will judge them one day if they do not by faith turn to him as his Holy Spirit draws them. He can't just accept them. No, no, he will judge them. They will be damned. They damn themselves to hell if they do not trust in Jesus. But he loves them and he gives them every opportunity. And somebody even listening today may hear this and know that this day God sent this old preacher, as Tim called me. I won't ever forget that. <laughs> this old senile preacher to tell you God loves you. He loves you desperately. More than you love yourself. But his love can't keep you from hell if you're not willing to believe that Christ's death on the cross was for you. And you'll confess that your sin has separated you from that God. But God now, through his son Jesus Christ, the mediator, the agent, came, died, was buried, rose again, and offers life to all who believe. I want to pray with us this morning. Pastor Tim, I want to thank you for allowing me to be with the church today. We love you deeply. It's so exciting to see what God is doing through this church, through her ministries. But today, would you, right where you sit, say, God, let me return to my first mission. God, I've not been as pleasing to you. You see, it takes confession before we can move forward. I've not been as pleasing to you as I should have. And you know the areas of your life where you maybe have not been pleasing to the Lord. Confess that to him. He'll forgive. 
And then allow His Holy Spirit to help you to be more Christ-like at home, in your community, in your church. Why? So that the world can see the love of God. Would you bow with me this morning, please, as I pray? Father, I want to thank you for your word that is very convicting to me. Father, we need, we need to choose as our mission, as our aim, as our goal, to please you. Father, we have lost people in our families. Some of us have never talked to them about salvation through your son, Jesus. I know that's not pleasing to you when you've told us that we're to share and show and be a light. Forgive us of that and help us to choose this day to share your love, not to be pushy, not to sound sacrilegious, but in love that our family members know that you love them. We want to see them saved. Neighbors we've never shared your love with. It's hard to share because we've not always acted the way that we should in front of them. But you'll forgive us of that if we'll confess it. And then we can help our neighbors to know about your love. They can share with others and our communities can be different. Lord, use your word in our lives this morning. I've just been your messenger. I pray that it's been pleasing to you what I have shared. And I pray that the word that has been planted in our heart now will grow. There will be fruit that will last even into eternity. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by our guest speaker, Pastor Roy Sutherland from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at MMBC.